Good morning. This is Valerie Leonard. I am the founder of Nonprofit Utopia. I want to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to join us this morning. As you may have been following, we have been talking about policy and advocacy for the past couple weeks or so. And we are going to talk today about affecting change through policy advocacy. Our first session focused on working through your community groups to affect change at the community level. And this session is going to focus on, you know, building on lessons learned from a couple of weeks ago to actually learning to interact with your elected officials so that you can make broad sweeping long-term change um, through the legislature. All right. So uh, without further ado, I am going to share my screen. And also, you know, before I do that, I want to encourage you to post any comments, any questions. If you're watching, you know, let us know who you are, where you're from, any experience you may have with policy advocacy. And I will share my screen, go over the content, and then double back and answer any questions that you might have. All right, so we are going to talk about affecting systems change through policy and advocacy, and this will be our second session. We're gonna be talking about developing and implementing issue advocacy campaigns with a focus on being able to interact with your elected officials to make change at the um, policy level, all right? So before I get into that, I wanna tell you a little bit about Nonprofit Utopia. We're the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. And our mission is to develop the next generation of ethical nonprofit leaders. And we provide ongoing professional development and networking opportunities where we have our more experienced professionals interacting with lesser experienced um, professionals to share their expertise across the generations. And the overarching goal is to give our members the tools that they need in order to create sustainable organizations while developing their own leadership skills. And our vision is to strengthen the global nonprofit sector by providing training and opportunities for 50,000 emerging leaders throughout the world between now and 2033. If you want to find out more about us, you can go to nonprofit utopia.mn.co and you can also feel free to scan the QR code at any time during this presentation so that you can get my contact information. A little bit about me, I'm the founder of Nonprofit Utopia and I specialize in community and organizational development and I help emerging nonprofit leaders to increase their leadership skills and the capacity of their organizations to create a bigger impact on their clients and communities. 
And I also host this non-stream, and I'm sorry, this live stream, as well as the Nonprofit Utopia podcast. And I also teach courses at the university level. I have a master's degree in finance and marketing from Kellogg and an undergrad degree in economics from Spelman. But enough about me. And I just want to, at this point, go back and lay a ground work or framework for you. And for our purposes today, we're going to talk about advocacy. And advocacy in its purest form is taking a stance in defense of a person, a population, an issue, or a cause. That's in its broadest sense. And when we look at how the World Bank community defines it, they're saying that advocacy is supporting the establishment of an appropriate balance of power between citizens and institutions of government. Advocacy is about influencing or changing the relationships of power. We talk about representation, speaking on behalf of the voiceless. Advocacy can also be about mobilization, encouraging others to speak with you. So we're looking at um, working with large numbers of people and helping them to understand the issues. And then empowerment being supporting the voiceless to speak for themselves. So after you pull the people together, educate them about the issues, then you want to get them to the point where they're speaking for themselves and you not speaking for them. And the most important of these three and when I say three, I'm talking about representation, mobilization, and empowerment. The most important is the empowerment that builds the capacity, right? USA says that advocacy is the process, sorry, the process by which individuals and organizations attempt to influence public policy decisions. And at its core, it's action-oriented. It plays an important role in determining social justice, political and civil liberties, and in giving voice to citizens and historically marginalized groups. At its best, advocacy expresses the power of an individual, constituency, or organization to shape public agendas and change public policies. In a broader civil advocacy strategy, advocacy-oriented action goes beyond specific objectives. For example, raising the minimum wage to actually providing the means to mobilize society, ideas, and resources in an effort to bring about democratic change and or its consolidation. They also go on to say that since the major long-term aim of advocacy is to increase informed participation in political decision-making, citizens have to gain the confidence, knowledge, skills, and organization necessary to be involved in defining their advocacy effort itself. And when we look at NGO citizen-centered advocacy, and NGO, just so you know, that's a non-government organization, um, that terminology tends to be used internationally. In the United States, we're more familiar with nonprofits, right? Or community-based organizations. 
So citizen-centered advocacy is an organized political process that involves the coordinated efforts of people to change policies, practices, ideas, and values that perpetuate inequality, prejudice, and exclusion. It strengthens citizens' capacity as decision makers and builds more accountable and equitable institutions and power. And here are some reasons why policy advocacy might fail. These are some of the most common ones. One of the most common is one, failure to research the issues and analyze the impact of various alternatives. So uh, we may wanna make change, but if we go out there half cocked without doing our homework, so to speak, not understanding the history of the issue, who's impacted, not having the data to prove that it really is a problem and not having the solution, you know, it makes it very hard for you to be successful. All right, another reason policy advocacy efforts may fail is people may not realize that there's a difference between lobbying and policy advocacy. Lobbying is interfacing with your elected officials at the legislative level, that is people who are actually writing laws to get them to change the laws, whereas policy advocacy is you're speaking out on the need to change various policies or even various laws, but your audience is gonna be much broader than the elected official themselves. Um, as I touched on before, another reason why people fail is poor planning. And if they plan properly, but don't execute properly, which means you know if they're not doing what it is they're saying that they wanna do in an organized fashion, that could lead to failure. And another reason why it may fail is, you know, you might work in an organization and their primary responsibility may be something, uh, maybe social, have a social service or community development. You know, so there's some day-to-day -day operations that's not necessarily policy advocacy. And if policy advocacy is not prioritized in the organization, then it will never um, get gain the traction that you need in order to actually make change. And one reason why social service organizations or community development organizations don't get involved in policy advocacy is they don't want to cross the line. You know, they realize that as a nonprofit organization, they should not uh, spend a whole heck of a lot of their time getting engaged in political affairs. And they tend to confuse the fact that they shouldn't be involved with partisan politics with the fact that they can in, indeed engage actively in lobbying. So, you know, so as long as lobbying is not the you know, you're not spending too much time on it, say more than 10 or 15% of the organization's time and resources, all right? So they feel like they'll get in trouble, right? Another problem is organizations may have a problem framing the issue in a way that's easy to understand. You know, a lot of the issues that we have are so complex, 
it's really, really hard to convey to the average person how important the issue is, or more importantly, how the issue is relevant to them. And you have to be able to master the ability to um, get across complex ideas in sound bites, so to speak. And most people can't do that. Another reason for failure is hard, you know, it's um, your inability to get buy-in from the stakeholders. Who are the stakeholders? The stakeholders who are impacted by your issue. It doesn't matter what side they're on. You need to be able to engage regardless of what their point of view is. So if you can't engage stakeholders and get their buy-in, it's going to be impossible to make the change that you seek. Um, another reason is the inability to get the message out. Um, so whenever you do policy advocacy, you need to make sure that you have hand in hand with you a strong communications um, system. And we'll talk about that on Friday. And then another reason is the lack of understanding the power dynamics. Sometimes we think that just because someone has an elected um, position that they're the one in power. And we find out the hard way that they're not really the ones who are pulling the levers. So you have to really understand who's in charge regardless of what their titles are and make sure that you can influence those people. So you wanna be able to influence people at all levels. And then finally, the lack of understanding of the legislative process and when and how to engage at various stages. All right, so you might remember this chart from last time. You know, we talked about the core components of policy advocacy, and we mentioned that there are eight components. And it starts off with, you know, actually delivering services. You're an organization that came about not necessarily, you know, there are some organizations that have come about as a result of, you know, doing policy advocacy. But for the most part, your organization has come about as a result of seeing some problem and then delivering programs and services in order to solve those problems. Um, the next rung is raising awareness. Then after that is building the capacity internally to actually address the issue and then beginning to build the capacity of other stakeholders. And then after that, the next rung is mobilizing and influencing populations. And after that is actually developing policy. And the next rung after that is drafting the legislation or the national strategies. And then after that is actually advancing the legislation. And then finally, uh, at the top is tracking and evaluating the results. And if you see that there's something not working, you obviously want to advocate and make changes and adjustments. All right, so we wanna talk about credibility and issue identification. The first thing we wanna look at is credibility. And one of the questions you wanna ask yourself of yourself or, or your organization can we legitimately speak on behalf of those who are affected by the issue? All too often we have people and 
organizations coming into a community and you know, just parachuting and speaking for people rather than having people speak for themselves. And the problem is if the people could speak for themselves, they would have done it already. So you have to strike a delicate balance and educate people and empower them so that they're speaking for themselves and working yourself out of a job. Another question about credibility, is our organization perceived as objective? Are we trustworthy? Or is there a potential for us to be perceived as politically partisan? You know, are we biased on an issue, biased toward a certain lawmaker? Are we biased toward an issue? Do we have a predetermined outcome? Is our organization known and is it respected by decision makers? And then we need to, at that point, look at the issues that we wanna focus on. As we identify issues, we ask ourselves, does our organization have the capacity to conduct an issue identification exercise, such as surveys, community assessments, focus groups, or some other form of research using standards for best practice. If you don't have the capacity, can you learn how, you know, how to do it? Can you hire somebody to do it? Can you partner with an organization that knows how to do it? If we can't conduct our own research, you know, do we have access to sound research or data from other sources? You know, have there been articles printed you know, that you know of? Um, that you can share that will help inform, you know, what you're doing. And then we want to look at research analysis and policy development. Does our organization fully understand the issue identified for advocacy? And if not, you know, how do we get that expertise? Would we be considered issue experts? Does our organization have the capacity to collect and analyze the data or conduct original research on an issue identified for advocacy? And when we talk about this, I, I don't want you to be so concerned that you need a PhD in order to do research. You know, you can get a Google form, do a survey, you could do a survey in SurveyMonkey and be able to collect the data um, electronically, or you can work with um, people on the ground and go door to door and collect the data. So you don't necessarily have to have a PhD in um, research in order to do this, right? So if you don't have the capacity to do this yourself, you know, do you have access to other forms of reliable data and the ability to apply the findings to the research? Does your organization have the capacity to analyze the information in such a way that allows you to come up with legitimate policy alternatives or issue solutions? So it's not just enough to collect the data, but you know, what do you do with the data once you collect it and analyze it? What do the data tell you? What uh, are the implications for current policies? How can policies be changed to make life better and you can be able to have your policy suggestions grounded in the research that you have. 
And again, if you can't do it, are there partners who can do it for you? Does your organization have the skills to cost out a policy proposal and identify revenue streams to implement it? And if not, do you have partners that can provide this capacity? So as you can see, policy advocacy, like any other initiative that your organization is going to implement, it comes with doing your research, it comes with developing strategies, it comes with um, making sure that there's a budget and making sure that you have capacity, all right? So um, a lot of people feel like policy and advocacy is this nebulous thing in the air and it really doesn't have to be. And the next thing you wanna focus on is community engagement. Do you have the capacity to do the necessary community outreach and grassroots organize? Now is that, grassroots organizing. So obviously the first thing you ask yourself is, is your organization known? Is it respected by local communities affected by the issue? Do you have strong relationships with the community leaders in the area? Do you know and understand how targeted audiences in the area get their information? Do you have the resources and skill capacity to organize outreach and mobilization activities? So when we talk about outreach and mobilization, you know, how do you inform people? You know, can you do robocalls? Do you have town hall meetings? Do you knock on doors? You know, how do you get the people riled up, for lack of a better term? How do you get them engaged, involved? Uh, how do you get them to understand that this is a really important issue that impacts them? Do you have the capacity to do that? If not, how do you get the capacity? What are the main constituency groups that you service now and how are they connected to the issue? How are they impacted by the issue? And when it comes to decision-making, you wanna one, make sure you have relationships with decision-makers and two, you wanna make sure you understand the decision-making process. When it comes to relationships with the decision makers, again, you know, is your organization known and respected by those with authority to make the decisions? Does your organization have the relationships to secure meetings and other forms of engagement with decision makers on this issue? And if you don't have the appropriate direct relationships with the decision makers, can you partner with other organizations or individuals that do have those relationships? And next, when it comes to understanding the decision-making process, do you understand how the decisions are made on those policies? And every policy is different. And although you might have similar processes, each process or each policy may have different nuances, political nuances. And you need to know how to you know, touch, press the right buttons. Does our organization have access to the meetings or other formats during which decisions are made on this issue? Communication, there is external communication as well as internal communication. And externally, you know, do we have the capacity to transform language from research and policy into short, clear messages for targeted audiences. 
short, clear messages that are known as sound bites? Do we have the ability to identify key audiences for mobilization? Do we know how to find out where these audiences get their information and what means of communication will be most effective to them or with them? So you, when you do your communication strategy, consider your audience. You're definitely gonna have to segment your audience and you're gonna have to be able to communicate the same message, but in different ways according to uh, the target. So if you're communicating with people door to door, your message is gonna be the same, but you're gonna communicate it in very simple ways. If your target is the policy maker for an elected official, then you're gonna to have to adopt the language uh, for that policymaker. If your target is the elected official, then you'll craft the message in a way that is important for the elected official, right? Everybody needs to know what's in it for them. How can you help me? How can you hurt me, right? In your external communications. In your internal communications, you know, this is often where we fall apart. You need to make sure that there's strong leadership in the organization for the development of policy. You need to ask yourself, does everybody in the organization understand their role and responsibilities as it relates to um, developing the policy? And then also, you know, you just need to be able to communicate, you know, basic information like, you know, when are we having a meeting, right? You need to be able to communicate in a way that will be able to resolve you know, internal conflicts. Are there me mechanisms in place for all staff to be aware of your priorities and messages? And just because someone is not out there on the forefront, you know, communicating with all of the stakeholders, you know, and when I say someone, you know, I'm talking about someone in your organization, everybody needs to be aware of the messaging. So everybody's on the same page. The next thing we look at is networking and resource management. First, you need to have the ability to form networks and coalitions, and then to, to re, uh, manage the resources that you have. So under the ability to form networks and coalitions, is your organization a member of any professional networks, coalitions, and partnerships? And do you have the relationships within these networks so that when you call upon them to ask them to help you, they'll be willing to do it? So these networks can be other organizations, could be community leaders, government departments, and even people within professional associations. Are you in a position to maximize the impact of your policy advocacy by building partnerships with other organizations and individuals that carry different strengths, different assets than your own? And be careful about um, with whom you work and at what level, because everybody has their own agendas. Um, your goal is to make sure that everybody get something out of working with you, but you don't want to be in a position where people have hijacked your process for their own purposes. 
under resource management. Ask yourself, do we have sufficient human resources to achieve our policy advocacy goals? Do we have the capacity to recruit and train volunteers within the time frame of our policy advocacy campaign? Remember your policy advocacy campaign, just like any other project you're working on is gonna have a specific time frame, and you wanna make sure you're able to accomplish everything within that specific timeline. Do you have the money to achieve your policy advocacy goals? And if not, do you know how to raise it? Are you managing your time well enough to actually achieve your goals? And are there priority actions and achievements given enough time? You know, so if you have uh, specific things that are more important than others, you know, are you prioritizing more time and resources to those activities? And are there other human or material resources that you need to bring to this campaign? All right, so, but this is how policy works. And for the purpose of uh, our discussion, we're gonna focus on these three levels. Remember we had that eight level um, ladder. We're gonna focus on the state of life change or quality of life change. We're gonna focus on institutional change and behavioral change. So remember the purpose of policy advocacy is to bring about change and policy generally is created to affect change in those areas. So in Chicago, we have quality of life planning, right? So that's one form of advocacy, but you really want to get to the point where you're going beyond the community level change to the institutional change and change behaviors. So when we talk about behavior change, that involves changes in our, you know, the way we act, our relationships, the activities in which we engage, or the actions of the people, groups, or organizations who are targeted by the policy. So for example, um, we wanna change the attitudes towards domestic violence, we wanna reduce the willingness to pay bribes to public officials. We wanna lower tolerance of human rights abuses by security forces. We want greater value placed on the participation of youth in our society. And we might wanna do things like reduce smoking or other unhealthy behaviors. When we talk about institutional change, we're talking about shifting the function or behavior of an official body or organization, right? So policies and practices, right? New bodies can be created or existing bodies can be modified or given new powers or resources. And for example, passing a new law mandating free universal primary education to be implemented by the Ministry of Education or your Board of Education. Um, another example is creating an independent oversight body to monitor delivering and pricing of public utilities. And another example could be establishing a competitive and transparent system for the manner in which government contracts are awarded, which is overseen by a public ombudsman. And when we talk about the quality of life change, we might think of um, 
changes in the quality of your daily lives and the way you uh, you live those lives. So example, um, cleaner water and effective sewage, sanitation, good roads and reliable transportation systems, strong infrastructure in the city, reductions in crime or political instability resulting in safer streets, reliable electricity, internet access and other elements of infrastructure and access to quality education and healthcare. All right, so this chart gives us a comparison and contrast between policy proposals and versus activities, right? So a policy proposal is going to address the issue for the long term, whereas, you know, activities, you know, could be short term, you know, activities would be an action that you might engage in as a community organizer, you know, say for example, you go and protest in front of somebody's house, you know, you might get a short-term effect, you know, you might get a meeting, you might get an article in a newspaper, but that's not going to make long-term change. A policy proposal also has an official and permanent status, whereas, again, an activity is temporary, brings temporary attention, a policy proposal is going to alter the way the official institutions deal with the issue, and the activities may alter the relationships with the people who are involved, but it's not necessarily going to change the official policy. Policy proposals change laws, regulations, and or the way they're implemented and enforced, or they may change the way money is spent on the issue. Activities are part of achieving a policy solution, but are not the solution in and of itself. All right, so here is a pop quiz. And in the interest of time, I'm not gonna ask you all of these questions. If you are a member of the nonprofit Utopia community, you will have access to this quiz. So for those of you who are in the listening audience, um, is a town hall meeting a policy or an activity? You can write that down. You in the listening audience is a draft law on maternal health or drafting a law on maternal health. Is that a policy or activity? And one more question, national public transportation development programs. Is that a policy? or activity. All right, so when we look at issue verification, we start to look at problems that might, might require an advocacy response. We often make assumptions about what they are and how they're experienced by affected populations. However, to ensure that the policy solutions we propose is accurate, we may need to move beyond assumptions and verify the issue further through research. So, so basically, you know, we we might know something, so to speak. We might think that we know it, but once we do our research, we start to find patterns that suggest something else. So just because we think we know the answer doesn't mean that we don't have to prove 
to ourselves with the data and other evidence like talking to people and reading articles to prove that uh, what we think we know is actually the truth. All right, some of the ways that we can verify whether or not what we believe to be true is true is through community leader in interviews, focus groups, surveys, community meetings, community cafes, time maps or daily activity schedules, community asset mapping, neighborhood canvassing. And we basically need to make sure that we get to the root of the problem. Here is a problem tree analysis model. And as you can see, it's divided into three sections. You've got the roots, which focuses on the causes. You've got the trunk, which is the problem itself. And then you've got the leaves, which are the effects. All right, so in the nutshell, um, that's what it is. So any issue that you're analyzing, you can use this model as an example. All right, so policy is meant to address the causes or the root section of the problem. And sometimes the problems are so complex, it's difficult to address them all in a single campaign. You might, instead of doing that single tree, consider doing what I'm calling an orchard, making you know several trees and analyzing different issues and then trying to figure out which one you, you know, which advocacy campaign you would prioritize first. All right. And just like you would do with anything else with your programs or strategic planning, your policy advocacy is going to have goals, right? So a policy advocacy campaign generally has one goal tied to the problem or issue that it seeks to address. The goal is the broader vision for the change the campaign is trying to achieve, its overall aim or purpose for the long term. It's written using general language and an advocacy campaign goal often refers to the benefit that will be offered to those affected by the issue. All right, so for example, reduce childhood malnutrition to improve children's health, improve access to reliable quality sanitation so that local residents experience a higher quality of life and a lower level of illness. Or another example is build the capacity and legitimacy of the judiciary so that vital human rights regulations are implemented and protected through the courts. And then your objectives are basically gonna tell you how you're going to achieve those goals. So objectives define the incremental and realistic steps that can be taken toward achieving the policy goal. They're more specific than the goal and within the context of policy advocacy, frequently focus on the desired change to the official policies, programs, or positions of decision-making bodies that will be necessary in order for the goal to be achieved. So for example, in the next 18 months, the education, social welfare, and agricultural ministries implement a child nutrition program through preschools and primary schools 
based on best practice. Another example is increased funding for sanitation provision in the five poorest districts by 50% within 18 months. And then finally, repeal the city ordinance that prevents the water utility from connecting households and slum areas to its service within the next two years. And remember your objective should be SMART. Um, and SMART is an acronym for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. When we say specific, it should be described in, in precise or detailed terms. They should be measurable. So progress and achievement can be assessed and quantified. Um, it's achievable and it could actually be accomplished within the time and resources available. And that's gonna mean different things to different organizations based on your level of expertise and your capacity. Realistic, is it sensible and practical to try to achieve this, especially within the time frame that you want to get it done? And time bound, you know, a specific time has been set, you know, you have a deadline. All right, so the next thing you want to do, and, you know, this is just something for you to think about, is to develop a vision for your advocacy campaign. A vision statement is a description of what your society will be like in the future once your policy proposal has been successfully implemented. And you don't have a heck of a lot of detail, but you know that's something for you to um, think about you know, after this. So we're not gonna have time for you to actually do this, but you know, that's what's required. Uh, research is critical. Good policy is based on good research. And the more policy proposals are based on evidence rather than what you believe, rather than what your emotions are, what you feel, or an educated guess or good intention, the more likely you are to have success. All right. So it's good to be emotional. It's good to have good intent. It's good to have a certain ideology, but if you don't have the data to back it up, then you're headed for failure. The next thing you wanna do is write the research question. So in order to do the research question, you have to really understand the problem, okay? So you've gotta understand its causes, which you have already identified through the tree analysis, right? You want to state the general issue or problem that needs to be investigated in the form of a problem statement. And then you want to translate this into a question that can be researched. And the question has to be precise, focused, and clear. It has to be an open-ended question and arguable and addressable and connected to the problem statement. All right. And the reason why you do it this way is because you don't want to um, box yourself into a preconceived outcome. You know, again, a lot of times we start off thinking we know the answers to a problem, but once we start talking to people and looking at the data, we find that the problem is either not what we thought it was, is more complex, 
um, than we thought it was, or it may not even be a problem whatsoever. So you really want to make sure that you leave an open mind. All right, so here's an example um, of <coughs> developing your, your questions. The issue or the problem. More than half of young men from poor neighborhoods are leaving secondary education with no qualifications. This phenomenon creates financial, social, and health penalties that stay with these young people throughout their lives. For example, they're far likelier to earn less money and experience lower qualities of life and poorer health than their peers. Let's look at the causes. One of the contributing factors has been identified from, <clears throat> from the first days of primary school at the age of five, children from poorer families struggle to do as well as their peers from better off families. Over time, they're unlikely to make up this gap in academic performance, despite having access to the same education system. Problem statement, children from poorer families are benefiting less from the education system than their peers from better off families, despite having access to the same system. And then the research question becomes, what are the causes of this type of educational disadvantage? Are there aspects of the current education system that contribute to the situation? What types of interventions have been shown to make a difference for children at this age and over the long term? So what are some of the ways that have been successful? You know, what are some of the things people have done in the past to actually address this problem over the long term? So you have four basic types of research. You've got the primary research, which is the research that you do yourself um, using, you know, the tools that you have available to you. And this is search research that you're not reading about, but you're actually doing it based on what you know, what you think. Um, and then you've got the secondary research, and that's looking at other people's research and then making conclusions and, and looking at how that impacts what you do to, um, to determine how you're going to proceed with your work. And then you've got quantitative research which is using numbers, right? What do the data say? And then you've got qualitative research, which is getting behind the numbers, getting at people's attitudes, right? And when you develop effective policy proposals, you're gonna be looking at three different elements. First of all, developing and using a sound evidence base that comes from solid issue identification, problem analysis and outcomes-based research. So if you've done everything that we talked about before, if you've done all of that right, you should be on the road to developing effective policy proposals. You also need to understand and manage the political context, including how and where decisions are made. And then you need to be able to communicate complex issues in a way that's easy to understand because again you're trying to impact what the masses think you know not just what the policy wants think 
you want to clearly identify the outcome or the outcomes you want to achieve. So that is, you know, before you start, think about what it is you want to accomplish. <clears throat> the best policy options are formulated by starting with intended outcomes and then working backwards. So sort of like strategic planning. Remember in strategic planning, we start with the end of mind, in mind, and then we work backwards. What do you want to have happen as a result of your policy alternative? And then what would the situation look like once the problem you're trying to address is solved? And when you're doing this analysis, think about some of the unintended consequences because sometimes we think that we're solving a problem and then we make another problem worse. You want to identify all possible policy-based options for reaching or achieving those outcomes. All right, so what happens if nothing's done about the issue? Does it get worse, you know, in terms of human or financial costs? And can you quantify those costs? Does it get better? And if so, can you quantify what getting better means? Does nothing happen if you do nothing? And is it really too difficult to tell? And do you have the resources to even go further, right, to even experiment? Some organizations are willing to expend the resource to experiment, right? Are there shortfalls in the current policy? Where would change be most desirable? What are other policy areas with similar issues and how have those policy areas been addressed? Can some of those remedies actually be applied to this issue that you're focusing on now? On now? What other countries have similar issues? What other cities, what other states, how have they addressed these issues? If we were to address the issue in a new and innovative and creative way, something that's never been tried before, what would those solutions look like, right? And again, how do you convince people to take a risk on trying something that hasn't been done before? What are those groups which are most affected by the problem asking for? And what actions can be taken to address or neutralize the causes of the problem? And then you wanna isolate the most viable options, right? So the first standard for viability is good governance, good decision-making, right? Good management. Does the proposal meet current standards for risk management, value for money, gender mainstreaming, and oversight and transparency? Any policy alternative that requires the use of public funds must be also assessed for its value of money. You know, is there a good return on investment, you know? You know, what's the cost benefit analysis? Consider which options represent a smart investment for the country or your city or state and the sound use of public funds. You wanna ask whether spending money in this manner represents a good uh, financial management. You know, does this make sense for um, taxpayers? Contemporary standards for good governance also require a sound gender analysis of policy proposals to ensure that there's no inherent bias. And then I would say, make sure that there's no bias, you know, geographically, 
racially, culturally, you know, especially public funds are being spent. The next thing we want to do is examine the political lay of the land, right? So you want to look at the environment, you want to look at the supporters, you want to look at opponents, you want to look at stakeholders. So we ask ourselves under environment, what's the current public opinion on this issue? What's the current opinion of major political actors, right? Is there anybody that we need to, to persuade? The supporters, who are likely to support the policy and why? Will their support be strong? Will it be weak? And how can you maximize their support? And when you talk about support, is that somebody who's you know, out there saying, oh, I support what you do, good luck. You know, support needs to be active support. You know, do they come to your meetings? Do they try to talk to other people and convince them um, that your position is the right thing to do? Are they raising money? Are they bringing other people into the fold? Opponents, who is likely to oppose the policy? And is their opposition going to be strong or weak? You know, is it something, you know, they say that they disagree with, but they're not going to say anything publicly? Or are they actively getting people out there to publicly work against you? What will their arguments be against the policy? And how can you neutralize the arguments? You don't want to neutralize the person. Just remember, this is not a personal um, thing. You want to neutralize the argument. All right. Um, stakeholders. Who's most likely to be affected by the policy? Pro or con? What degree of change will they have to adjust to? Are they likely to support it um, or not? So what's what do you think their reaction is going to be? And what information or interaction do they need in order to support? And then if it's someone, if it's a stakeholder who's going to be negatively impacted, you know, what information are they going to need in order to be persuaded? And then what do you do if you just can't persuade them? You know, that's a calculus you're going to have to make. Then after that, we look at the clarity of our options, right? How well your policy alternatives have been formulated the and devise whether your objectives are clear, your action points are compelling, and the language is clear, especially for complex issues. Clear and compelling policies are much easier to communicate than something that is um, more complex. And even though your solution might compl be complex, you need to be able to master the, a good way of making sure that it is clear all right and policy options have to be specific so the decision makers know exactly what they're being asked to do and advocates can hold them accountable for progress on the issue all right and then afterwards you need to look at where the decisions are made and i'm going to stop after this slide you know, because we have quite a bit more to accomplish, and then we'll come back on Thursday. 
to to finish. All right. So we're going to look at you know where the decisions are made. So that means identifying the decision-making processes associated with the issue or the problem that you're focusing on. All right. So you want to look at the spending and investment. You know, so where decisions made on how the money is allocated for the issue and who makes those decisions. You want to look at the policy and regulations. Where are decisions made about how policy is formulated on this issue and who makes those decisions? Then you want to look at the implementation and enforcement. Again, where are the decisions made about how policy or regulations <coughs> are made and enforced? And then who makes those decisions, who implements them? Public opinion, where are the decisions made about how this issue is perceived and understood? Who makes those decisions? All right, so we have about three minutes left. I'm gonna stop right here and check and see if there are any comments or questions. And remember, we'll be back on Thursday to finish up. All right. All right, so it doesn't look like we have any comments. I just wanna say thank you guys so much for taking the time to stop through, we're gonna finish this on Thursday. As you can see, policy advocacy is not the simplest thing in the world, but it's extremely, extremely important. And I wanna make sure that you have the tools that you need in order to be effective. So join us on Thursday when we finish up, all right? Take care, bye-bye.